Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stupski, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. Here on episode 33, the Gearheads discuss carbon fiber, design, and the logistics of bringing five cars to the 2018 SEMA show with David Salvaggio and Lyle Brummer of Speedcore Performance Group. Yeah, I guess you get away with it at this time of the year, too, so yeah. whatever. You got a month. Oh my god. Well, hey, let's let's dive right in. What the hell? Uh welcome to the Round Six Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. And joining us tonight from uh from Speedcore, we are honored to be dipping into their SEMA Thrash time. And uh we're we're taking valuable shop hours away from uh Dave and Lyle. Welcome aboard, gentlemen. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Hey, thanks for thanks for making time to join us and uh Man, I know, I know this is, you know, it sounds cliche to say SEMA crunch, and I really hate that term, but um, where where are you guys at as far as, well, your SEMA crunch? Yeah, so luckily we're at the end. Uh, five cars for SEMA this year. Uh, two in the Ford booth, two Demons, and then the Evolution Charger. So we're going to be putting parts on tomorrow. We're putting parts on tonight. And then uh, cars are shipping Wednesday night and Thursday night before SEMA. And uh, every year we say we're going to be ahead of the game, but you can plan it out to the T and it never happens. So I think every shop is like that, right? You plan and then, yeah, we're in midnight oil. Well, who gets who gets the dubious honor of uh, polishing the car in the trailer on the ride out? Yeah. <laughs> well, the guy's got to chase the trailer with the parts first. Once you catch <laughs> that, and then, yeah. and the polished guy, and then, yeah. That's what the rest stops are for. Yeah, That's right, every fuel stop, there's more parts going on. I do think that would be a great idea for like 20, but yeah, do it on 2020. This way it gets you an extra year to plan. I mean, you get together with the guys from like Jackass or one of those kind of shows and <laughs> literally build a car, but it's got to start off somewhere as far away geographically as possible. I, th and, I think this would be the Battle of the Builders road trip and just have it where you build the car on the way to SEMA. And you're, you only go, and you can only go dirt roads. <laughs> and you have to source all of your parts while you're on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Sponsored by Craigslist. This is going to be great. <laughs> so you guys did five cars. Yeah, this year. Uh, I think last year we did five as well. And I thought we would have learned our lesson. But, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy year. Uh, the biggest one and uh, one that's probably going to be our crown jewel is the 1970 Charger Evolution, and uh, we're really excited to debut about that and, uh, you know, share the love in the McGuire's booth. So that's uh, that's the big dog. And then uh, Two Demons, working with uh, FCA Group, and uh, we were blessed to get five demons, which is great. And uh, we carbon fibered them all up, and uh, we just set a world record, what, uh, Tuesday with Leah Pritchett? with the one demon and uh we have the fastest demon we have the quickest demon in the quarter mile we have the lightest demon and we have the highest horsepower demon so uh, <laughs> four records broke on tuesday and then wow. we got a big machine demon a guy that owns big machine record label group 
He uh, has country music celebrities, Florida Georgia Line, Taylor Swift, people like that. And uh, we got his all carboned up and supercharged 980 horsepower at the rear tire. And we got two special ones for the Ford booth that we can't talk about yet, but we definitely encourage everybody to check them out uh, at SEMA, you know. So Ford's been a great sponsor of ours as well, and they've given us excellent support. So that's uh, that's the cachet of cars we're bringing. Plus yeah. our own booth. Plus our own booth, yeah. Debuting our own <laughs> So Yeah, so that, that, you know, it is in the shop this year. There's been no fights. Everybody's been pretty decent, <laughs> but everybody's tired, and we're looking back, you know, having some fun at SEMA and seeing what everybody else is doing. And when you're at SEMA, right, you're not talking about your wins. You're kind of talking about your losses and your struggles and, you know, <laughs> what did it take to get there. And, you know, you, you never really talk about the good times. It's always about, you know, the bad times, what you learned, and you share it with other people. So yeah. that's kind of how we roll. So. Sometimes those are the most amazing stories. I mean, that people just don't know about. And yeah, well, let yeah. Me, a lot of crazy stuff happens that people don't know about. That's all yeah. I can say. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of a sudden it's the last day, and something gets scratched, dropped. You know, someone loading the trailer, or whatever. It happens yeah. all the time. So. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. of our previous podcast guests, J.F. Lonier. He uh, talked about when they won the uh, the Riddler and the with the Riviera, uh, the the story about that and what happened. It's pretty crazy. Oh really? I just gotta check it out. Well, the problem that we have and we always have is uh, you know carbon fiber. We make a ton of carbon fiber, and some of our suppliers just can't keep up with the demand. And a lot of times, uh, you know, it comes frozen in a truck. You know, pre-pregged carbon fiber, and uh, a lot of stuff doesn't show up or shows up late. And then we just got to work extra hours getting stuff done on the cars because, you know, we make every body panel, every interior panel and engine bay out of carbon fiber. So it's kind of like trying to build a house without wood or bricks. So that's kind of that. But luckily, uh, everything kind of checked out this year. I mean, as far as being smooth, this is one of the smoother years. The only problem we had was, um, you know, I guess some of the clientele took the cars a little rough. Uh, some test drives before SEMA and uh, you do a little repainting, a little touch-up, and a little cleaning. But other than that, it's been good. So nothing too horrible this year. Awesome. Good on you guys. Yeah. Trying to get everything yeah. organized and well, dialed in. and oh, yeah. That many carbon fiber cars. These aren't just, you know, filler and, and paint. These are carbon fiber cars. These are not cars that go together easily. Where'd you guys grow up? Who were you in, your influences? You know, tell us a little bit about you guys. Okay. Well, um, basically grew up in Cedarburg, Wisconsin, 20 miles north of Milwaukee. It's a great small town, you know, under 10,000 people. Uh, you know, it was great. My grandfather lived with us. Uh, big influence on my life. He was an immigrant from Sicily, came over in the early 1900s, like 1911. And, uh, you know, came over, went through Ellis Island, came to Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee is a huge manufacturing town, you know, even then, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, he made it through the Great Depression. He was a, you know, engineer. He was a race car promoter, built race cars, you know, raced them. IndyCar in Indian, Indianapolis, 1929. Uh, he ran the Milwaukee Mile. You might be familiar with that race track. Oh, yeah. Yes. He ran that from 1930s on to 1970. Uh, he was the longest uh, standing promoter and owner of that track uh, you know, of anybody. 
And that's when racing was really racing, right? Um, would you wear like a leather helmet and you got thrown from the vehicle? And I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. belt's optional. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, safer to get thrown than it was to roll over in it. You know? Right. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So they were racing uh, Miller engines and uh, Offenhausers and uh, you know, Indy cars and all that stuff. And you know, uh, he started uh, you know USAC and um, they had tons of events and uh, you know, big influence on my life, right? Uh, hard-nosed Italian guy, you know, and, uh, you know, he was smart, and they paid their dues, and, uh, you know, he just uh, passed it on to me, which was great, and I'm passing it on to the next generation, and, uh, you know, I can't say enough good things about that, and a little uh, shout-out to the younger generation that's out there, you know, iPhones and, you know, video games, everything's great like that, but there's nothing like innovation and power and you know, building stuff with your own hands and being out there and, uh, you know, especially cars, right? And that's why we're so into carbon fiber. We're so far into innovation and we just want to use, you know, the latest and greatest technology, engineering greatest things that we can for customers that have a ton of money and want to have fun. And at the end of the day, that's what we want to do. We want to build great cars and have fun and have a happy customer and do stuff for the OEs. And, you know, that's kind of how we roll. So... I'll uh, pass the same question over to Lyle and love to hear what he has to say. Yeah, so uh, I got a later start into cars and technology, uh, mostly into racing, motorcycles, F1. Um, and the racing aspect has always been interesting to me, but mostly the technology. And that led me down my path to designing and developing the and engineering. So... Really, that's what still fascinates me. And here at Speedcore, we do take advantage of a lot of the technology. Uh, 3D scanning here, 3D printing. Uh, we have uh, technology over in our sister companies that we can take advantage of for metal forming, uh, laser cutting, stamping, things of that sort. So, and that continues today. To today, we um, bring in some young people at Speedcore, and we, we want to give them that exposure along with some of our senior members on the team that have been doing this for 30, 40 odd years. We kind of mix them together and be able to carry that tradition on, working with your hands, but also integrating technology for sure. That's awesome. That is great. Um, you know, I, I was in the service for a number of years, for 10 years, and I was in with a lot of guys that were from Wisconsin. There was always one common denominator amongst all the guys from Wisconsin. They were all gearheads and they were all race fans. What is it about that state? I mean, there's a lot of great fabricators. There's some really uh, great shops. One of them over in Spring Green, uh, a couple brothers own that you probably guys probably are very familiar with. Oh yeah, uh, a lot of high performance parts suppliers. I know Competition Products is there, sure. and there's a huge circle track racing community. What is it about the state of Wisconsin that that it's got so much stuff going on, but very few people know about it unless you're there. Um, well, I think uh, something that Dave alluded to that you know Wisconsin for many, many years was uh, a, a manufacturing state with a lot of immigration from hardworking countries. When you think about Germans, the Poles, Italians, you know, these are a lot of hardworking, handworking individuals. And uh, anybody who works hard wants some sort of uh, escape and hobby, and racing just kind of falls right in with that. You know, if you're 
if you're working at a foundry, for example, you know, you're learning some skills, and perhaps if you're in the pattern shop, that you, you know, may carry over to your hobby. And that comes with the fabrication side of things. And people in the winter here, there's not a lot to do. So yeah. <laughs> being able to in your, your workshop and making stuff and getting ready for the next season to go out and play, that's pretty important. Otherwise, you get a little bored. For yeah, sure. especially when it's 20 below. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have it worse. I mean, hell, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so... Like I, oh, I understand yeah. the whole like you know winter time comes so it's a really good time to either learn a whole new skill, perfect something that you you know wanted to learn how to do, or go out and really wreck some stuff on your car so you can't drive it the first few weeks of spring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the funny thing to that is with snow, you know, you learn a lot about driving in snow and slick conditions. Thank you. And once you start figuring it out, it becomes fun. And that's the challenge of it. And if that translates over to the track, that's great, too. And, I mean, car control is car control. It doesn't matter if you're saving it from going in the ditch or if you're up at a, a famous track not too far from here called Rural America. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the, the best rally drivers are from Finland. I mean, it all makes sense. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you don't really see one come from, like, the Bahamas or anything like no, that. No, the Jamaican rally team, no, not so much. No. <laughs> so, go ahead, Brian. I think you probably had something Oh, I had nothing to add except I was just thinking, like, whenever you watch those videos online, the Russian dash cam videos or the, uh, like, the ones from like Thailand, where you see like five hundred thousand cars crossing through an intersection, like ants. Oh, it looks like ants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I figure they crank out some good drivers too. But at that said, I'm just I'm going to shut up and go back to my corner now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, now that uh, uh, Dave and Lyle kind of talked a little bit about themselves and their influences and 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 their uh, upbringing, how did Speedcore come about? How did you guys meet up, and how did you guys connect? So basically, um, I started at 25 years old. I started my own business, Salagio Auto Design, and uh, you know that was just when pro touring was just starting to get you know unearthed. And basically, um, people were into Mustangs, and they're starting to do that, and Mopars, which was great. And uh, I did some pretty pretty good cars. Um, did a lot of stuff overseas in the Middle East, which was fun. And uh, got a lot of you know great clientele there. Did some of the good guy shows and some of the other shows. And then um, you know I started uh, wanting to get into carbon fiber. So the reason for that was uh, you know ask any body guy or car builder. You know you're slinging mud, you're sanding bondo, um, you know the paint, and it's just very labor intensive. And then you're trying to have a scalable model. And I knew I couldn't do it alone. So I partnered up with Jim Kazmarek, um, great businessman. He owns a company called Capco. He's a minority owner of the Milwaukee Bucks basketball team. He's got a minor league team for baseball called the Chinooks. Um, he's involved with Given uh, Music, uh, which is, has a number of, um, I don't know, mostly country music artists and so forth. And uh, so we formed Speedcore and, uh, you know, go big or go home, right? So um, I started developing carbon fiber procedures and um, we started ramping up. And what we knew 
and this has always been a problem for every shop, is you try to hire the best talent, right? And you want to get bigger, you got to find someone else. But the problem is the younger generation isn't seasoned or experienced enough. So what happens? Employees trade shops, you know? They're working somewhere, and then they go across the street for a buck more an hour, and then they move to another state for five bucks an hour, and next thing you know, you know, the talent's very scarce. And when you're looking at talent in California, and you're like, hey, you want to move to Milwaukee? And they're like, no, we don't. So <laughs> we do, right? So you want to have scalable models. So um, what we did, we started developing carbon fiber procedures, like I said, but we want to make tooling. We want to make parts where we don't have body filler in them, we don't have primer on them, all we have to do is make an excellent lightweight part that's super strong that I can make 100 out of them out of a mold and autoclave them and post-cure them to 350 degrees and they'll never change in the sun, they'll never change in the heat, everything is great, you have a light car and looks you win. Great. Yeah, <laughs> and it looks good, uh, you know, exposed weave. And uh, that was the vision for uh, myself and Jim. And, um, you know, I think uh, we're nailing it right now. Plus, we like to use, you know, the latest and greatest in 3D printing and CNCing and CAD and scan. And what else, Lyle, are we doing that's innovative? Yeah, you know, you, you hit on the main things. And, you know, with the diverse projects that we've had, you know, we look at some of our late model stuff, our early, early model stuff. They all have a different set of demands. Older cars were using more scanning technology, but our relationships with OEMs allows us to get data. But the end result is still the same. We have to produce quality tooling to get quality parts. So. Yeah. So right now, um, you know, speed cores, we're doing well. We're doing a lot of stuff for celebrities, which is great. Um, musicians, athletes. Uh, right now we're kind of focusing on key people that we want to work with. And then um, the best part is we like to open up a line of carbon fiber parts for, you know, anybody that has a Demon, a Challenger, a Mustang, F-150, anything early model, Cudas, Chargers, um, Mustangs, Camaros, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's good because, you know, our stuff's made here in the U.S. Uh, everything's done right here in Milwaukee. We don't outsource anything to a foreign country. And uh, we're kind of proud of that, you know. And uh, the worst part is, or the best part, I should say, is you can put it out, you know, in the elements, and it's not going to fail, you know, like other carbon fiber would. Yeah. So. Right on. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch my idea to do a recreation of the Steve Lisk Challenger, all in carbon fiber. And uh, <laughs> when I win the Mega Millions this week, uh, I'll be calling you guys. Well, um, well, I don't know if you heard, but I'm already winning that. So. Oh, <laughs> you too, huh? Yeah. Maybe, maybe splitting it with someone that we've had on the show. This is <laughs> so. So I, I love the fact that you guys you guys have really embraced. I mean, the technology aspect, and you know, having been in this, well, hell, I'm 46 now. I remember growing up, it was really low tech. It was a lot of junkyard trawling, things of that nature. And today, you can actually take it to a point. Anything you know, and I love doing this in my job. Anything I can imagine can pretty much be built within reason anyway. And um, so like, how do, how do you guys go from, you know, uh, like old school technology and just, just to embrace all the new stuff, like the 3D printing, uh, the carbon fiber work, everything like that. How do you make that leap? Well, you touched on a great 
topic. So like 15 years ago, you know, what did everybody do? You know, it was a rusty Mustang that they found in somebody's backyard or came from a junkyard or whatever. And you're dealing with rust and then you can't get parts. And like you said, you're going to different boneyards trying to find stuff. And what do they do? Would they have bad suspensions that you're going to put in? And, you know, people were taking kudos from everywhere and saying, oh, they're worth a half a million bucks. But then you got in it and it didn't drive very well and it overheated. And by the way, you know, you go take your wife out to dinner and it doesn't start when you come out of dinner and you never hear the end of it. And those are like the horror stories that customers told us. And it's like, you know, people love the look, they love the style, um, but they didn't like the drivability, definitely didn't like the serviceability and the reliability. And um, so now, you know, whatever we do, we, you know, we design it so, you know, it's got to ride great, you know, it's got to have an amazing stance. Um, you know, it's got to look good, it's got to be serviceable. You better, you know, have it where it's in downtown LA, you're stuck in traffic for three hours, you don't want to overheat. You can't give it to a celebrity and have him pull over the side of the road. You know, he'll hate you. He'll track you down. You know, <laughs> it's not good. So, um, you know, and that's kind of the recipe that we have. And, uh, Lyle, you want to talk about maybe the aspects that we do that? or? Well, yeah, one of the things that, uh, you know, hopefully we all have the opportunity in our jobs is to have an expression, an expression of, you know, uh, our craft, what we like to do, our style, and with us, we're able to bring all that together and have the freedom, you know, if it's materials, if it's technology, to put something into a project that really reflects our ideas, our talents, and at, at the end of it, have something a little bit different for sure. And that's really part of our goal. Yeah. Like one project um, that we talked about earlier was the, the Demon we just broke the world records with. You know, first twin turbo Demon. And uh, I'll design the intake manifold, and we 3D printed it, and made a cast mold, and then machined it, and put that on, and you know, never tested it, never did anything, and boom, it went to the track, you know, and we ran a 9-1 on the first uh, run, and uh, you know, it's like, wow, you know, think about that, you know, but 15 years ago, you know, you'd never do that, right? Somebody be welding one together, or doing whatever, or supercharging it, and I mean, it's just amazing, the technology, and I, I don't even know what the next 10 years is going to hold, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm seeing the only logical move is for you guys to get your own chem lab in there and start developing <laughs> your own materials. <laughs> right. That might be the next step, right? So. As long as it's not a Breaking Bad chem lab. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Well, if they, if they buy a laundry, we'll know that they got something else. Yeah. In there. yeah. <laughs> if their lab is underground. <laughs> so um, just on that kind of topic then with using new technology and things like that, you guys have obviously developed a, a really a, a design sense that is your own language. You guys do some really great stuff. Um, you guys truly enhance things and make them better. Um, was there ever a point in creating the parts that you were tempted to maybe just do repro parts or anything like that, whereas, you know, just a, a knockoff, say like a 69, uh, you know, charger front bumper. There is that in a way, um, you know, but it's tough to compete on price, you know, from carbon fiber compared to, you know, ones made in China and some guys trying to, you know, he's got a budget and he's, you know, he works during the day. So it's, that comparison is tough. 
But, um, you know, as far as the design perspective, you know, we definitely want to make it cleaner. We want to definitely make it lighter and it's got to fit better. You know, you know how the original stuff fit, you know, 69 charger front bumper. I mean, God awful. You can stick your thumb in the gaps, right? And, you know, the chrome was wavy and, you know. You could probably stick your thumb alongside one of the bolts. Right. (laughs) So, um, you know, so you want to have a good, clean approach. And, you know, our design approach is, I look at it, it's always got to be timeless, okay? So, you know, what you do now has to look good in 10 years, you know? A lot of people, you know, they're doing asymmetrical stripes, so, you know, they put different wording on the car, and all that's good, but, you know, you're kind of dating yourself, right? So I always look at it like, you know, everybody went to high school, and everybody remembers that girl from high school that was just beautiful, you know? And when you're older, you think back to those days. But what you don't want to think back to is the girl that was in high school that went to college and then got, you know, a nose ring and green hair, and she came back kind of gaining 20 pounds, and people (laughs) cars, okay? So all of a sudden they take a great car with a great shape and then they take it too far. All of a sudden it looks like, you know, it's mated with an import. And next thing you know, it's got weird scoops and lines and strange things. And it's like, wow, you know, that's not timeless. Uh, it's cool, you know, and, and maybe it works for a while. But, um, you know, what do you, what's your end game? You know, what does the customer want? And, you know, what, where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself as a designer, you know? So that's my perspective on it. Yeah, and part of that is subtlety. We want to keep somebody looking. You know, look for those details. Yeah. You know, they may not be obvious straight away, but if you spend a little time, you might notice something that you know, they really spent quite a bit of time on that. But it, 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 it doesn't stand out, but it blends well with the overall theme of the car or the project and takes advantage of everything we've talked about up to this point, you know. Uh, I can think of many details on evolution that you'll see at SEMA that, you know, you may at first glance say, oh, that's a quarter light, but look closer, and you'll notice something about it, and that's what we really try to do. Yeah, the car's got to tell a story, you know, and it's all in the details, and most people, you know, if they even caught a quarter of them, I'd be surprised, you know, mm-hmm. but they, they, you know, the people at SEMA or car shows, you know, they appreciate it, um, but it's really about the detail, and that's, you know, that's what separates, you know, great builders from good builders, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree with your point, uh, what Lyle brought up about you don't want to go too far in, and I like the cars that you've got to look at. The more you look, the more you see. Some cars, you can look at them from 100 feet away, and you can already see 80% of what they did, and it's very obvious. I like the ones that you walk up on and the closer you look and you may not even catch it, even if you're very familiar with that particular body style. Like if I knew chargers really well, I probably still couldn't catch a lot of the things you guys did only because they're so well done. And uh, thank you for doing that because those are the cars that I search out for. Um, I'm not into the gaudiness. I like the things that are very integrated and very subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Subtle details are great. And if you do a lot of it, you know, it's better than three huge things that just define the car, you know, I'd rather have a hundred little things. So, right. Yep. Yeah. You guys have become kind of a go-to shop for some movie franchises out there, such as, uh, fast and furious. How did that all come to be? Um, it's a good story. Um, you know, basically our first, I guess, 
dive into the movie world was uh, 2010, believe it or not. Um, we were doing some design work with Harley Davidson, obviously out of Milwaukee. And uh, I got a call from them one day and they're like, hey, they're making this movie called Captain America. They called us up and said, um, we want like five bikes from 1942 thrown into a container and shipped to England for shipping or for, uh, you know, the movie. And um, so basically they're like, we're not going to do that. Can you take uh, five brand new bikes and make them look like 1943 WLA Harleys? And like, yeah. So we did that. We had to like build all these bikes in three months. And Harleys were, you know, weren't really my thing. You know, I'm into cars. But it was cool. And it was a great experience. And we went over there and saw the filming. And, you know, Chris Evans was there. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones was there. And it was cool. So a couple of years passed later on. And we did the tantrum. Tantrum, obviously, for those that don't know, uh, 1970 Dodge Charger. We used a 1,650 horsepower twin turbo 9-liter engine in it. With a uh, you know four link and a T56 that's built and it was a great car for us carbon fiber parts uh, we did a fade from black to carbon fiber on the front and uh, you know the car really launched Speedcore you know into the next realm so um, worked with uh, Eric Davis and Sean Davis at Autotopia uh, who uh, had a storage facility with Paul Walker from Fast and Furious so we kept our stuff there. Uh, we worked on the cars there, and Dennis McCarthy, who does a lot of stunt vehicles, or most of them since Fast and Furious 5 through 9, which, uh, you know, they're working on now, um, you know, says, oh, man, this is great, you know, Dom, the character of Vin Diesel's guy, uh, you know, he's he's the charger guy, you know, that's the, what the bad guys drive, you know, but he's a good bad guy, right? So he's like, uh, man, we'd love to have this, and... Uh, so we put that in there, and uh, it was great in the last Fast and Furious. And uh, before that, um, we did a CUDA, and uh, it was called uh, the Cudinator, the AAR. What if you know they had a Hemi in it, and that was in Fast and Furious 6. Got some screen time there. And then uh, Dennis uh, McCarthy was like, we got to do this ice charger you know, from the last one. And we're like, okay. And he's like, you know what? I can't find chargers anymore. They're gone, you know? <laughs> Between Dukes of Hazard and Fast and Furious, I mean, they're gone. You cannot get them. And you want to buy, you know, a shop rat, it's 20 grand, you know, for a yeah. rusty one that's not going to stay together. So uh, carbon fiber. So we made the body panels for it. You don't have to buy, you know, a rusty old charger anymore. So we designed, you know, all the flares, what they wanted to achieve, and the grill and the body parts. And boom, next thing you know, they're doing nine ice chargers. And, uh, you know, they're filming in uh, Iceland and uh, where else were they in uh, Cuba and some stuff in Atlanta. And uh, they're wrecking these cars and they're calling us and like, dude, we need hoods made and you need to overnight these hoods and fenders and bumpers and grills because, you know, we're rolling these things over and blowing them up. So we're, you know, the carbon shops just going crazy, pulling their hair out and we're just making as many parts as we can putting them in boxes, FedExing them, you know, all this money, getting this stuff around the world for the filming. But at the end, it makes a great movie. The movie makes money. Uh, Vin Diesel looks good. Uh, Dennis McCarthy from Vehicle Effects, you know, amazing guy. He wins and everybody wins. And, uh, you know, we're blowing up carbon fiber chargers instead of uh, <laughs> you know, the real deal. So, you know, that's kind of, that was our dive into the, uh, the movie world with that. So, 
um, which is great. And uh, being on set for the Fast and Furious is, you know, fantastic. Meeting all the guys, watching them, seeing what they do, and you learn a lot, you know, and um, you respect their craft and their knowledge in the industry. And, uh, you know, they come out and, you know, between Vin Diesel, when he first saw the tantrum, and he was like, dude, this thing's crazy. I got to drive it, you know, and Michelle Rodriguez and uh, Scott Eastwood, you know, Clint Eastwood's son and, uh, you know, all kinds of guys. So it was great. And The Rock, I mean, we had a Kuda in the last one, too, and, you know, The Rock was checking it out. And it was great. And we loved, uh, you know, having cars, uh, you know, through that franchise. And we thank Dennis McCarthy for having us there. And uh, it's just amazing. It's just, uh, you know, you say 20 years ago, it's like you're going to be able to be building cars for these movies and you're like, you know, that would never happen. You know, if you could tell yourself that, you know, and then now you're doing it and you're doing it for celebrities. And I mean, what else, what better thing can you be doing for a living other than winning the lottery and doing nothing? <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's about it. So, yeah. You know, early on, you talked a little bit about the first Captain America movie when you got to meet Chris Evans. Well, I was flipping through the channels one night. I was just kind of flipping through and I came across a channel and there was a 67 Camaro that you guys built that, Chris Evans owns now, and that is probably I'm a first gen Camaro guy. That is probably my favorite, and I don't even know if I even want to call that a pro touring car because I think it kind of stands on its own. I absolutely love every bit about that car. I mean that car. I mean Camaros have gotten to the point when you're starting to do that kind of style, it's hard to do something that's a little different. You, you know, and, and like Lyle kind of mentioned, you can kind of run over the top pretty quick if you're not careful. And that car was just. Uh, restrained enough but just aggressive enough and the color is right but there's a backstory about that car how that car came to be and who it was that actually turned chris onto the car can you guys talk a little bit about that sure yeah so um you know we had tantrum and we had the menace cuda at the grand national roadster show and uh, we just got down to sema a couple months earlier um you know we were you know really feeling great you know successful and uh, all of a sudden, this one guy comes up to us at the booth, and he's like, hey, uh, you know, I represent this guy, and, uh, you know, I see, I like the work you guys are doing, you know, can I get a card? And I'm like, yeah, sure, you know, and that's about all that happened. So a couple weeks later, a shop phone rings, and it's like, uh, hey, uh, you don't remember me, probably, but we talked at the Grand National Roadster Show. And, you know, immediately you're like, oh, that's a tire kicker. You know, he wants to tell you about his car. He doesn't want to buy a car or nothing. So he's like, uh He's like, you know, we got this builder now, and unfortunately things just didn't work out with him, and we're wondering if you could just come take a look at what we got and sort it out. I'm like, okay, um, you know, happy to do it, you know. And uh, I'm like, we're taping Jay Leno's garage uh, with the tantrum next week, and he's from California, so I said, uh, we'll stop out and take a look at what you got. He said, great, you know, and all of a sudden, he's like, uh, shoot me an email, and, uh, and I'm like, can you tell me who the guy is? And he's like, nah, not really. But he's like, shoot me an email, and then it's, uh, but then it's got Downey in the email. And he's like, well, you probably figured out who it was. And I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> so uh, it turns out it was Robert Downey Jr., you know, which was amazing. I was like, oh, my God, you know, that's, you know, a dream come true, right? Um, you know, having Iron Man wanting to do something for you. So um, basically, uh, we went out there. He had this 67 Camaro was being done by a shop. Uh, the guy had started on some work with it. It wasn't quite the direction Robert wanted. And he's like, dude, take this and take my Mustang 
um, you know, let me know what you can do with it. Let's come up with some concepts. And uh, the original plan was having those two cars done and driving them at the premiere of uh, Captain America Civil War, which had obviously Iron Man and Captain America. In it. So um, and then he found out from Wisconsin and he's like, oh, man, I don't know if that's a good idea. You know, I'm in Malibu. You're in Wisconsin. What if I have a problem? I'm like, dude, just trust me. Uh, you know, we'll take care of it. So we bring the car back and I mean, we did everything to it, you know, top to bottom, front to back. And I came, you know, basically went back to Malibu, talked to Robert. I'm like, Robert, what do you want to do? What do you envision? And he's like, dude, I want something tasteful. And I, he said, I hate metallics. I hate pearls and paint. And it was like a blue pearl that kind of looked like it belonged on a Toyota. And he's like, let's just do something that's kind of a porcelain and, we were throwing around some porcelain grays, but then we started getting into some greens, you know, and we mixed up a, you know, a porcelain green, which, you know, looked really good. And uh, we started doing some gray effects to it. And we're going through swatches of leather and we're using this aged bomber brown and with a coffee. And then we're doing a French stitch that was off color, which started to look really good. And then, um, you know, normally we use pile carpet, but then we started getting in this German loop and Robert's really into it. And he's like, oh man, this is coming together really well. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, are you still going to give it to Chris Evans? I know you didn't, you know, <laughs> get a chance to get it there for the, uh, Civil War premiere. And he's like, nah, that ship sailed already. But then, you know, we finished the car and we got it down exactly. And he's like, dude, I love this car. And he was driving it and Robert drives it like, I mean, anybody, it's like a daily kind of driver. It wasn't like take it out once in a while. It was in his driveway, you know, on the coast. And, you know, he would take it up, you know, to his office and do whatever. And he's like, man, I love this car. And and I think, you know, he's a really generous person. So basically at the end of the day, we finished uh, our boss Mustang for him, which won Ford's Best of Show Award in the Ford booth, which was great. And he's like, ah, you know, I'm really happy with this Mustang. I want to go back to the original plan and give it to Chris. He's like, here's what I need you to do. Do a horn button based off of the Captain America uh, shield. So Lyle, uh, being the genius he is, you know, we did some 3D scanning, uh, CAD work, machined something up, did this really tasteful horn button reflecting that. And then um, basically um, we had this little placard made. And now looking at it in the past, it was like, wait a minute, this is kind of crazy. The, the green that we picked out, you know, really goes with Captain America's first Avenger character of that, you know, army green. And we called it melted army man green. Like if you took the plastic, you melted them down. <laughs> you're, you're right. It does. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it kind of turned into that. And then I'm like, well, the, he, he wore a leather jacket like that. And it was aged, you know, so it kind of reflected his jacket, you know, and then the whole persona came about, and I was like, man, this thing was, you know, almost, you know, whatever, designed for him from the beginning, maybe, and we didn't know about it, and Robert was so pleased. So on the set of uh, Avengers, uh, Infinity War, the last one, and uh, basically he's like, yeah, bring it to Atlanta for filming, drop it off, I'm going to give it to him for a gift, and you know, Chris and Robert are shooting together and they got done for the day and Robert's like, Hey, you know, you know, let's go in the parking lot. And he's like, Hey, what's a cool car out here? You know? And then Chris is like, Hey, what are you talking about? You know? And he's like, you know, find something cool. And then, uh, Robert gifted him that Camaro there and he was just, you know, blown away. Right. Wow. 
I mean, high dollar build, great car. You can drive every day. LS3 engine, you know, most reliable engine out there. Um, you know, he did automatic transmission. We upgraded it with a Whipple supercharger. It's got a four link in it. HRE gave us the wheels, you know, amazing wheels for it. Uh, Gabe's interiors did the interior. I mean, the whole car was off the hook and uh, Chris was just flipping out about it. And Chris in Atlanta drove that thing every day. I mean, he was staying in a house in Atlanta, maybe 10 miles away from where they were shooting. And every day he drove that car and he loved it. And Chris, uh, I would say he wasn't really a car gearhead kind of guy, but he became a car guy at that point, you know, and he appreciated cars and he respected them. And he, he appreciated the lines and the craft. And, um, you know, uh, I flew out there to give him a tutorial on, you know, how the car shifted. And I just want to make sure it was safe for him and make sure the seat was set up because, you know, he's a big bulky guy, right? And uh, making sure everything was legit and showed him how to do power stands and stuff. And dude, he nailed it right away. I mean, great guy. And later we ended up doing the Jay Leno episode, uh, you know, in, uh, in California with it. It was a great episode. Jay loved it. Uh, both Jay Leno and Chris Evans were both from Boston originally and had uh, humble beginnings. And uh, at the end, it was a great project. And, you know, we were really, really happy that Chris loved it. Robert loved it, and, uh, you know, we call that a win. And uh, forget the trophies, right? Trophies are great, you know, they're holding down the bills. But, you know, doing something special for somebody like those guys and telling, you know, them telling you, you know, great job, and, you know, they respect you, and it's just it's an amazing feeling. So, And we couldn't have done it without the team, right? It takes a village. So, um, you know, we got great metal fabricators, carbon fiber guys, mechanics, Painters, body guys, uh, supported Jim Kazmarek, and, you know, that's a winning, you know, recipe So for success. So, you know, it's all good. It was a good time. Here you're talking about, uh, you know, fictional superheroes, and <laughs> you guys just became my hero. I mean, you're, you're, you're absolute, your humility and everything comes through, man. You, uh, you are outstanding, guys. I, I, just, I didn't mean to interrupt you, and I don't want to put you on the spot or make you feel weird, but uh, that was really cool to listen to you say that. Yeah, I didn't want to interrupt. That was awesome. Wow. <laughs> that is just really cool. I mean, hearing, you know, that you, you guys, you guys, obviously, you get it. I mean, you understand that it, it's more than just a, a piece of machinery or a piece of, you know, metal sculpture that somebody's going to put into their yard. Um, and you guys... Uh, you guys just really nailed, I think, if, if I have to go back at any point in my, my life or my career and define for someone, you know, what it means to build a car, with your permission, I'd like to play that little segment. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, we're honored you said that, yeah, so we really appreciate you. that. Well, the other thing, a point to be made about that is pride. We take a lot of pride in what we do. You know, and they're not all the cars that we do are for celebrities, but they all get the same amount of pride and effort that we can put into it so well what i what i liked is you got you got a car guy and a non-car guy with with the 67 you got two separate individuals and they both love driving the car so that tells me a lot that that you guys got it figured out how to make a nice driving car because not all these big dollar cars are drivers they look good in the garage but yeah they're not that fun to go cruise around so yeah exactly hats off to you on that one. Oh, thank you yeah <laughs> It's a learning lesson over time, I'll tell you that. So you learn what to do, what not to do, and 
most of all, you got to listen to the customer and make sure, you know, you're achieving the goals that they want, you know, and it's not always about horsepower either. You know, it's about drivability and enjoyment, you know, and, uh, you know, if they can have stories and fun, uh, you know, and have a good time, they're a customer for life. You know, most of our customers, you know, three, four cars in, um, we have some billionaires and we have, you know, some people in the Royal family in the middle East and, you know, they call us daily. And I mean, it's like, Hey, the King's brother's on the phone. You know, you're going to be talking about doing a Camaro with him or something. You know? <laughs> like, oh, cool. All right. Wow. You know, and, you know and it's like, hey, how's it going? And, you know, you're, you're nobody in, you know, no, nowhere Wisconsin, you know, and it's, 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 I hate to say this, but the hobby and the cars bring you to an equal level with celebrities, royals, uh, athletes, and all of a sudden, you know, it's not about, who's got the most money or who's the most athletic or, you know, who's got the most babes. It's about cars. And that's the language, you know, that defines, you know, around the world that everybody's into. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like just being stripped down and you're a car guy and air car guy. And, you know, it's that interaction. And um, that's what makes the craft and the hobby so great. And that's why I encourage everybody, you know, get into it, get into the craft, you know, get into 3d printing, CAD design, Get into carbon fiber. You know, carbon fiber is not the future. It's the present, right? Aerospace is sucking it up, but automotive, you're going to get there. You know what I mean? Automotive is going to catch up. Yeah, it's expensive right now, but forget it. It's going to get cheaper. And when Ford and GM and Chrysler never realizes, hey, we have to make more carbon. We've got to make them lighter. We've got to make them more fuel efficient. You know, we need to incorporate it in the design. Uh, by the way, you can plate carbon fiber. You don't have to have exposed weave showing. You know, have a chrome, have foils, have different things to it. By the way, you know, run electricity through it. You know, it's conductive. Um, you know, you can do all kinds of great things with it. You know, lighting like what we do. And, um, you know, the younger generation, you know, you guys got to get into that. I mean, it's great. Kids get into marketing. It's great. You know, everybody wants to go to college and, you know, thinks that they're going to make 150 grand, you know, right out of there. But, uh, at the end of the day, guys that get their hands dirty, guys that have a craft, guys that have a skill, you know, they're going to win, you know, because at the end of the day, you have 100 people with a marketing degree standing in front of you, but you got this one guy that's like, dude, I can make as much carbon fiber as you want. I can keep the weave straight. It's going to be great. It's not going to delaminate. You're going to put it in the sun. It ain't going to move. You know, I'm hiring that guy, you know. Yep. So the other guys, yeah, that's great. You got an education. You know, do it. You need it. But, you know. Find someone that can work with their hands, and that's what we look for, you yeah. know. And we want that in the next generation. Yeah, and something about our carbon guys is they have experience. You know, it's not necessarily something that they were taught. They were exposed to it, and they developed the skills. And, you know, when you look at one of our cars and you look across the body panels and you see how the weave lines up, and it's an art. You know, it just taking into account curvature and how carbon fiber will lay in there, how it will reflect light, and then keeping everything in line is it's a serious art. And that's where this experience is such a key for them. Yeah. You know, it's that was one of the questions I was eventually going to get to. And I don't know if we could just talk about that now, a little bit about the carbon fiber. Uh, I know you guys lay all your stuff up with prepreg, and for people that don't know what prepreg is, prepreg is basically cloth that's already infused with resin, and it's ready to lay out. And um, 
I, obviously, you guys must go through a lot. Get, must get some big sheets, and a lot of that stuff has to be refrigerated, right? Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, so you've got uh, you've got to refrigerate it. It has to be stored in a certain way. Um, you know, when you guys make a part, is there a standard number of plies that you say is your you know for a certain part thickness? This is the amount of plies that we want to do, or do you do like a uh, a foam core? Do you do anything like that on some any of your parts? So, yeah, absolutely. All of the above, it, it really depends on the part. So, you know, for body panels, we're typically looking at six layers. Uh, some less important members, we may be looking at four layers. Uh, overlay type stuff, we might be doing a couple layers. Uh, we'll do some honeycomb coring. We'll do some foam coring. Uh, we'll use Kevlar coring. It, it all depends on where it's being used and what its actual function is, if it has one. It's it's crazy, because I know we talked about exposed weave, and I know this might be an, a trade secret amongst you, but I don't know how you do it, how you can lay up a part, say a fender, get your weave laying in a particular uh, bias, get it laid right where you want it, and then you, a week later you lay up a door, and you get the weave to lay in the exact same direction. I don't know how you do it, and it's probably a secret, <laughs> but it's got to be, uh, I don't know, it's it's crazy. Because you, you've seen carbon fiber jobs where people have put down pieces and it's an absolute mess. And when you've got exposed core, if you've got uh, core that's not laying in the same direction, it's really obvious and the part will flop in the light completely differently. And it'll look like two different, completely different parts. And I, I think once you go to exposed weave, you're, you're committed to having to lay everything in the same uh, angle. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, it's the artisans and the secrets that go with them. I yeah, mean, I got to think it's it's some <laughs> sort of secret, you know. It's that, you know, if you look at the three ways, you know, that typically people make carbon fiber, it's, you know, some people do wet layup, you know, heavy infusion on resins, and then, you know, that's great, but it looks really heavy, and it looks, like, deep, and it doesn't look crisp, and all of a sudden it's not really strong, and then you find out, it's heavier than the part that you just made out of steel. Yeah, and it's full of air. Yeah. And it's full of air, yeah. yeah. And you put yeah. it in the sun, and then it blows up, and, you know, and it yeah. looks like a balloon, you know, and it's like, <laughs> wow. And then other guys, um, you know, they do an infusion process, right? And that's great, um, but you're not getting your strength, you know? It's not what the aerospace industry uses. Infusion is just a way to drag, you know, resin through the part, but then it's really heavy, you know? It's really heavy, you know, resin infused, and also that's not really light either. And then all of a sudden, people find out when they get either wet layup or, you know, infused part, you're going to be putting a lot of clear on it if you're going to try to get A straight and, you know, B to look like something, to have some depth. And uh, basically, at the end of the day, that's why the aerospace industry uses prepreg. That's why you have to autoclave it. There's no way around it. And you've got to be able to throw out, you know, a lot of money to get that and get the equipment and have it under vacuum and also putting, you know, under 90 pounds of pressure per <clears> inch and, um, you know, and that's how you get the stuff to look great. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so you're going to create a fender. Uh, you guys obviously do it digitally. Do you do like a, a digitized scanner and then drop it into SolidWorks? And then with that data, you basically take the CNC mill and make a layup buck out of some structural foam. Is that kind of the process that you guys do? Kind of, yeah. And, and uh, late model versus early model. Early model stuff will be taking molds directly from the part. So okay. we'll, we'll 
hang a fender and will do all the work that is necessary to keep that fender straight, make it look perfect, because that's going to translate right to the mold, which will, of course, dictate what your part looks like. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the later model stuff where we can, A, get data from uh, OEMs, or if we have to reproduce that data. OEM data, yes, we take those models in, model up the, the plug or the buck, as you called it, and then turn around and see and see that um, we don't use structural foam. We'll use some um, composite boards. Okay. Uh, and what we will be using that buck for, uh, different components will use different weights of materials and uh, how it has to finish. So then moving on from there, if we have to scan it, we, we have a 3D scanner that will capture data at you know millions and millions of points and then bring that data in to uh, CAD software, SolidWorks, and then manipulate that as we need to, clean it up, make it look great, model up plugs, produce plugs, and then molds and parts. Yeah, the other thing about a fender is that if you look at an exterior of a fender, you see the outer skin of it, but if you flip the fender backwards, you see a lot of reinforcement pieces, uh, some structural uh, things that help keep it um, uh, stiff in a couple different directions. How do you guys reproduce that? you guys do a similar process to the factory? You just make smaller pieces and then just bond them in place? Yep, you're exactly correct. Yep, and we use the 3M bonding uh, panel bond stuff that has the glass beads in it so you yeah. don't crush it. And yeah. it does, you know, take the epoxy out too yeah. far so you get a good bond. But um, there's a lot of parts to a fender. Most people don't realize it, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah it's not just stuck. the outer skin. There's a lot yeah. going on behind behind yeah. it. And then there, you know, it's a, you know, you have a radiator support in that structure part, and it could be holding a headlight. And then mm-hmm. people don't understand, you know, it's cantilever off the front end, and there's attaching points to it for headlight mounting, and yeah. there's there's a lot that goes into yeah. it. Yeah, a fender, a valance, a bumper that can all be bolted to it. Yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's got to be right. Yeah. I always wondered how you guys did that. So yeah, the with the existing parts, you guys almost make what we call in the industry aerospace, we make a splash. Yep. What, off, okay, you can still call it that. All right. It's funny to hear, you know, the same kind of terminology used in what you do, and it's the same same kind of uh, principles that that we we do as well. Absolutely. So it's really cool to hear you guys talk about that. Yeah. So you know, and there, there's a good comparison between early model cars and late model cars. You know, you take, uh, for example, a '70 Charger Fender. There's many pieces, the headlight bucket, there's this return, there's this flange on that. On later model cars, of course, they're they're simpler, there's less. You might have a fender mount flange and a boss up front and a couple along the hood line. So it's interesting because it, as time has gone on, the parts on the exterior have gotten simpler, but the understructure has gotten more complex. Yeah, it, it, I... A lot of the stuff now is all popped in place with, you know, plastic clips and things of that sort. So yeah. your attach points have to be dead on the money. Yeah. You know, you don't have a slotted hole with a bolt in it that you can kind of rock it and move it a little bit in one or two directions to get it to fit. That's exactly right. Well, basically, my background, um, you know, like I said, my grandfather was an engineer by trade. And um, actually, he and my uncles were uh, abducted into the Society of Automotive Engineers, and he's never even had more than a fourth uh, grade education, which is kind of interesting. And uh, so he trained me a lot. And then through high school, uh, God bless the shop programs, right? 
So you learn there. And then I went through Ford Asset Training. Uh, Ford has a kind of a great program, two-year. And I did that. And then I actually worked at a collision shop, you know, from 18 to, you know, my early 20s. And you learn a lot, um, you know, as you guys did. And, um, you know, you see the substructures and what everything else is and the attaching points. And, you know, it's kind of like, did the engineers that built this car, did they really keep it serviceable when you were working on a probe in the 90s? You know what I mean? Not really. You know, with the flip-up headlights and stuff. And you're like, man, if I ever become an engineer, I'm never making a flip-up headlight on a car like this, you know? You know where I came from. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm 25. You know, you own your own company and you're like, all right, I'm going to do things my way. And then you do them wrong a couple of times and then you learn. And then, uh, you know, you become smarter because you don't want to work harder. And then, um, you know, and then that's that was you know, my education of hard knocks. I was a late bloomer, you know. And, uh, you know, Lyle's going to wow you guys with his resume. Yeah. <laughs> Lyle's a smart cookie, you know. And, and yeah. throw your two cents in. But my background isn't much different. Uh, I, I don't know how old everybody else is here, but uh, I'm up there. But my background is uh, I started out on the bench as a pattern maker, old school. So that was some early experience into being able to take a blueprint, you know, that somebody had drawn up and be able to create a 3D model from that using your hands, tools. And uh, early on in my career, that's how we did things. But as time progressed, as technology came along, that changed dramatically. And if you were to go into a pattern shop nowadays, it looks very little like what it did back in the day because technology has taken over in that realm. Um, you know, so CNC's, scanning, CAD, everything that we use now at SpeedCore here was stuff that, you know, I got exposed to early on. And uh, it also makes you think about how things, when you start talking about car, like we talked about, go together. How do we take what we've learned from a technology standpoint and apply it to these old vehicles. How can we make them better? How can we make them simpler? So that's when we look at stuff um, and the mold building. It's the design aspect. Those are the things we take into account even now. Another carbon fiber question. You know, if you got to – okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You don't have the luxury of being able to do body work on a panel to get it to fit better or get it to uh, align uh, better. What do you do in the case if you have to make an adjustment to it? Um, for waves in a panel, do you lay clear on it and just you know spend uh, a bunch of time uh, blo blocking out the uh, epoxy clear to get it flat? Uh, basically, it's 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 a tough putt, and uh, so the tooling means everything. You know, your parts only as good as the tool that you pull it okay. from. Yep. So we spend a lot of time, whether we're having something machined, you know, in Renboard, or you know, it's something, you know, early model. It's a fender or a hood off of a whatever Camaro Charger, Cuda, you name it. And we make sure everything that it bolts up to is 100%. Because once you make that tool, that costs. It. 20 times what the part would cost. So if your tool is bad, then that's bad. You know, and if you got a bad part, you can't add carbon fiber. You can't get the carbon fiber welder out, add a little bit here, <laughs> except the carbon fiber bondo. That yeah, carbon fiber filler. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so if you if it doesn't work, it's you know, 
on the prototyping part or the mold, you know, it's not going to work on the part. And what happens is a lot of guys, they take clear and they clear it and clear it and sand it and clear it and sand it. But the problem is, you know, you're going to have waves in it. What happens when you have, you know, so many mils of clear in a low spot and then barely any clear in a high spot, and then you're going to put it out in the sun, and then UV right. is yeah. not going to just hit the clear and bounce off. It's going to go through the clear, magnify off of the carbon fiber, so then you're getting a double UV exposure coming back through the carbon on the back side and the front side, and that's going to take your clear that you just thought you used as filler, uh. blow it off, and it's going to turn it yellow. And then, you know, six months down the road, you know, when you're going to the show and everyone asks you, hey, that's a great gold carbon fiber piece, you're going to be like, well, it was great, but you know, <laughs> now it's not so good. No, it's, it's, so um, that's kind of what happens in that realm. So with carbon fiber, there's no cheating. And you're getting about 10 thousandths per layer. So if you're doing four layers or six layers, you're still less than a sixteenth of an inch. So there's no sanding it. There's no cheating it. There's no cheating it. You're post curing at 350, and you know you got to be as good as your tool. Thank God we have good CAD people and uh, you know good you know artisans in the you know carbon fiber department. So we've uh, you know you get a little scrap, but if you're less than three percent scrap, you know you're doing really good. Wow, three percent. That's phenomenal. That's really good. Yeah. And I'd imagine that when working with complex shapes on a panel like that, you have to take into consideration light scattering and the refractive qualities of certain carbon fibers. And it's it's really easy at one point to go from, you know, something that's looking pretty good to walking out in the shop and going, man, you just turned my Mona Lisa into Tammy Faye Baker, you know? There's <laughs> <laughs> a throwback reference. Yeah. yeah. I figured, see, I, was, I was trying to get you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say your age before, so I was like, well... Let's see. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I've seen pictures of the uh, evolution car as you guys were putting it together, and some of the work on it is so nice. It's almost a shame to cover it up. Like, uh, for example, I saw a picture of it with the quarter panel not on it. I saw the inner fender, inner wheelhouse, and all the other stuff, and I'm like, people are never going to see this, but it's finished to a level that. You know, as you guys are putting it together, there is no cutting corners. And that's what I liked about the car. And, and if you want to look at the interior, if you gutted everything out of the interior, pulled the carpet out, pulled the seats out, pulled every trim panel out of it, it still looks just as bitching, in my opinion, as it did when it does when it's finished. The, the work is just insane. Um, with all the carbon fiber work that you guys have done, what kind of weight savings do you see on that car? Uh, before the interior was in it, we were uh, at 3,100 pounds. So we suspect right now we're probably 3,400, 3,500 pounds. I think it's safe to say, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty good for a charger. I mean, which was 4,400, you know, 100 pounds from the factory back in the day. And, uh, you know, having the demon motor and having a dry sump, that thing winds up fast. So uh, weight savings, it's great. We did aluminum floors on that. All that was handmade here, uh, you know, and uh, wheelhouses, you know, that's all handmade. Trunk floor, fuel tank, the cage was all bent here. The, I mean, the frame, that's the yeah. frame that we built here. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you look at the frame, if you could see it, you know, the fuel lines, 
run inside the frame. Coil lines run inside the frame rails. There's no lines anywhere under the car, on top of the car, you know, on top of the flooring, nothing. Yeah. Everything is run through the rails. So we have little yeah. gussets in there with uh, little rubber O-rings, if you will, placed into the gussets. And then the rails were all welded together, TIG welded all the way down. So Lyle did the design on that. Worked really good. It's really strong. No linear twist, nothing like that. And uh, we're really proud of it. So yeah, a lot of engineering went into it because, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, in the Mopar world, Cudas were king, but now Chargers are king. And yeah. um, you can't find them. So we want to be able to have a scalable model for that next guy that says, dude, I want that same thing, except, you know, I want it black or I want it green or whatever it is. Yeah. So... And, you know, when you look at that interior, you bring up a good point. If you were to strip away uh, the seat supports and get down to the floor on it, that's all hand-formed aluminum. And it does. It looks really good. Without yeah. it. And then you start putting in the tunnel structure. That tunnel yeah. is a really interesting piece because <laughs> that is actually a structural member. It is supporting <laughs> the transmission. It's supporting the, the seat brackets the seats, that go yeah. out to the frame rails. So now can you guys talk a little bit on how you built that? Because uh, for people that don't know what this is, it's basically almost like a spine that runs down the center of the car. That is just amazing looking. It's yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So basically it it is, it's an aluminum structure that um, uh, started out as flat aluminum. And basically from there with our sister company that Dave mentioned earlier, we have a lot of resources and, and plasma cutters and laser cutters and then bending. So that structure was laid out, cut out, formed, and then assembled here. So between the two of us, we're able to take large objects like that, like those two, the sides of that. Those are single pieces of aluminum that span that whole length. So once we get that back here, we assemble, form it, finish it, and uh, put in our critical mounting points for the transmission back to the cross member. We tie in this, the uh, seat supports into it, which also take on the, that same design theme. You know, you need right down to the fasteners, like we talked about earlier, the, the, the seat rails that they're mounted on. That's all built aluminum also. So not only does it look cool, but it is an integral part of how that vehicle is put together. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And and the colors that you guys use on your interior just work so well. It's just got that right color of almost a almost like a burnished brown. Uh that's the way it appears in the pictures. I don't know how it is in, in person, but it's the right color. And it just it doesn't overpower and it gives it that richness, but it still allows the car to uh give off that uh custom machined feel. Yeah, it, it really reflects the co uh, colors from the carbon fiber, you know, because carbon fiber will give you certain, you know, titanium kind of looking hues, and then it gives you certain bronzish, goldish hues as well, which, uh, yes. you know, complements it really well with that Havana interior. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and the in, elaborating on the interior a little bit more, when, when you see the car at SEMA, look closely at the dash, and, you know, what we did there, the steering wheels, uh, custom yeah. one-off, you know, that, that, Again, those details. Look closely, and then you'll really start to see some interesting stuff. Yeah. Door panels, quarter panels are carbon fiber, machined door handles in it. You know, the buttons and the reliefs are all in there. The dash, 
you know, handmade out of aluminum, but then machined billet plates, you know, the whole length of the dash, um, you know, classic instruments, gauges, and, you know, there's a weave, a metal weave through there, and, I mean, there's a lot of details. Garden fiber inlay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Gabe's again did the interior, which was great, and they did a beautiful French stitch, uh, kind of an orange uh, bronze color, uh, which really complements the Havana color of the uh, leather. And, uh, I mean, it really, really goes with the car well. And, um, and then the exterior finishes, you know, the bronze plating that we, uh, have throughout the wheels, uh, from HRP and the gas cap and the Marco marker, uh, lenses and the, uh, you know, the hood pins. Yeah. So it's a good combination. The grill, uh, when you look at the grill on it, that's a full complete piece of billet, you know, so a lot of work went into that, but. You'll also notice the, the shapes. It's a continual shape theme throughout the car. So just some more of those details. Right on. So, yeah. Lyle, have you ever, you know, just going kind of designer to designer, um, mm -hmm. have you ever designed something, sent it off for production, and during the waiting period, have you ever had that sick feeling in your stomach and like, you know, your butthole's tight for that whole week and you're going, oh, I hope this comes out right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, just, just this past week, you know, this, this is SEMA crunch, so we're, we'll, we're still pulling parts from molds. So when you demold that part and you, start, you look at it and you're running your hand along it and you're going, ah, you know, yeah, what do you think? And so, you know, it's the... Opinions you're asking of everybody, and you know, then because you you do have doubts, you know. You, as I like to tell everybody, I can stare at this stuff for hours and hours on the screen, but I can't run my hand along it. I can't see how it feels, you know. So it's a, it's important when you get that part out that first time. It's a oh yeah, cool. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't always work out that way, you know, scrambling. But uh, for the most part, we've uh, we've had pretty good success that way. It's funny how doing stuff on the screen and then doing it, you know, where you can look at it and feel it and stare at it is so much different, you know. And I think that's why a lot of designers, you know, still do the modeling in clay because you can just, there's something about, you know, the human senses yeah, when you're staring at it and it's like, you know, it might look good. All of a sudden you 3D print it just to see what it looks like and you're like, oh man, that didn't, that yeah. didn't look as good as it did on the screen, you know. <laughs> and then, but on a good point, you know, that is something that I'll do. You know, I'll, I'll model something up and I'll look at it and I'll remodel it and I'll look at it and finally I'll scale it down and print it. And, you know, even though it might be a tenth scale, I can still get a, a better feel for looking at it and holding it up to the light and running my hand along it. So, you know, using that technology and having it here at my disposal is a, a huge advantage. Oh, yeah, I had, I had even gotten to the point where I go so low-tech sometimes. I'll be drawing something out, and I've I've done the thing where either I've cut up cardboard boxes I've had laying around the house, right. or even craft board, and I remember having a whole bunch of stuck, stuff stuck to the front end of my Chrysler 300 at one point where I was trying to mock up this whole lower front valance, and my kid calls me and says, oh, I'm sick, you got to come get me at school. So I'm like literally driving through the neighborhood with this thing stuck to the front of the car. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a perfect example. I, I do the same. You know, I'll model something up, and uh, one of our SEMA projects is a good example of some side scoops that we did. And, uh, you know, 
You print it out, one-to-one, cut it out, tape it on the truck, stand back, walk around it, walk away for a while, come back to it. Yeah, we're going to change that. Or, oh, yeah, I think that'll work out all right. So, yeah, it's whatever it takes. It mm-hmm. really is, you know. It's just to get that visual, you know. Yeah. Success is never a linear path, you know. It's like, okay, you do it, and then you backtrack, and then you do it again a different way, and then you backtrack, and then you nail it. Well, and and the big thing for me is diversity. You know, if you're planning on being a designer, guess what? Go find a job where you can get out of the shop. You can work with some guys, get your hands dirty, and understand what the process is. And so you don't just simply, hey, I'm going to model this up, and you're going to make it through some sort of magic. It's best if you get out there and understand that process. And you're also, it's also going to help you in your process to make better parts, better looking parts, and um, make the guys who are making the parts a bit more happy. You know, yeah. uh, when when I'm designing something for carbon fiber, it's a lot different than I would for fabrication. You know, there's just different parameters. So when you can get out there and talk to people, well, how would you want to approach this? You know, do you want to jog with here? That's invaluable, you know. Oftentimes, uh, in my experience, you meet a lot of design, designers or CAD people that kind of exist on an island, and uh, they they lack that get out in the shop, talk to people, and get a better understanding because it's going to help everybody in the long run. And, and I think too, I mean, having really really well honed communication skills, I mean, that's that's a tough thing to find today. Because, you know, so many people grow up, you know, stuck behind a screen. There's not a lot of collaborative thinking that comes right out of school with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Very true. Agreed. I deal with that a lot, too. You know, I, I'm kind of an introvert myself, but I think I work with people who are six or seven times as introverted as I am. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and for me, being a bit of an introvert myself, it wasn't until getting in the shops and getting with people like that uh, that, uh, can often be a bit scrappy, we'll say. So <laughs> kind of that fight or flight response. So you thicken your skin a bit. You guys, you guys have been beyond phenomenal here. Oh, thank you. That's I learned a lot. Holy smokes! Yeah. I learned a lot. Yeah, this is a great, great. Well, great you guys got to come visit us in January. So. <laughs> Yeah, January. January. All right. <laughs> Alex, Alex, the key is layers, man. Lots and oh, lots yeah, of yeah, layers. Yeah. yeah. At a certain point, you can't have enough layers because. <laughs> yeah, but it's a dry cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're back to that. See, that, that Catwoman outfit you were making fun of me for before. Oh, yeah. See, it comes well, in handy. That's yeah. one of the layers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Lycra is the new Thinsulate, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, SEMA's coming up, so uh, hopefully we can see you guys. So we'll be yeah. Absolutely. Like, like oh, we're looking forward to it. Um, yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk. I'll take this off air or whatever. Uh, we will be bumming around all day Monday. Um, if we can stop by and, you know, Say hi to you guys. I don't, want, I don't want to pick on you guys at all while you're setting up because I know how that works. Moving day is uh, such a breeze there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Nobody's in anybody's way. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, something you guys should should share since this will be out is um, 
When when are your debut times? Or how many cars are you debuting besides the uh, besides the Charger? Oh yeah, let's do the booth slash debut time. Thing. Yeah, tell tell yeah. when you're doing these. So uh, Evolution Charger uh, in McGuire's booth, um, and you know they're doing a nice run, and they're doing a press release this week. Um, they're doing a run of posters with it, which I think is great. Really excited. Um, the we call it the Palermo Demon. The guy that owns it's Alex Palermo. Uh, that's the world record one that's debuting in Jets booth, Central Hall. Uh, McGuire's is obviously Central Hall. We'll have two in uh, Ford booth debuting Tuesday morning. You know, awards are at 9 a.m. Tuesday, so those will be there. Um, and then the Big Machine Demon um, out in Pirelli's booth, uh, which is, uh, I think, in front of the wheel and tire building, if I'm not mistaken. And... Uh, you know, Tuesday. So we're doing press releases this week uh, on Instagram. Check it out also. Uh, Speed Coral One and uh, Facebook. And oh yeah, Hot Rod just came out today with an amazing article about the uh, world uh, record demon. Uh, check it out online. It's, it's great. There's a new video on there I haven't seen. Larry yeah. Chen, the photographer. Well, John Jackson. Yeah, we brought in Leah Pritchett. Leah she Pritchett. Was she was amazing. Uh, not sure if you know Leah Pritchett, but amazing oh, yeah. driver. Uh, she can she can drive anything. Yeah. Oh my God. So, short story. You know, I'm like, we're building this demon. We want 1500 horsepower. We're like, okay, who's gonna drive the thing? You know. And uh, my buddy from Diablo is like Leah Pritchett. I'm like, well, okay, well, why? Well, she already holds the record with the demon. She's the one that got the 9.6 with the factory one. You know in Florida. And uh, I'm like, all right. So we'll call Chad Seymour up at FCA. I'm like, Chad, I got to get a hold of this Leah girl. We're, you know, you know us, we're in Wisconsin, but I want to see if she'll come here and, you know, drive this car. So he's like, yeah, here's her number. So I call her up and she's like, she doesn't know us. You know, we don't know her. And we're like, hey, you want to come to Wisconsin and drive a car without a cage with 1500 horsepower? I'm like, never heard of <laughs> She's like, all right, that sounds like fun. So, um, you know, a week later, she's like, all right, I checked out online. You guys look good. I'm like, cool, I'll pick you up at the airport. And uh, I'll pick you Wisconsin. It's the land of Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein, right? <laughs> this just gets less and less creepy. Oh, this is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, okay, I'll pick you up at the airport. She's like, all right, I got a race that weekend. I'm on the road for 15 days, but I'll meet you. I'm like, cool. So we pick her up at the airport and, uh, you know, get her down to the track. And it's kind of the, I call it off the beaten path area. And she looks around and says, I've never been to Wisconsin, but uh, this is how I guess I would envision it. And you know, it wasn't the greatest area we were in, you know? And I'm like, no, there's, there's great <laughs> Wisconsin. I'm like, you're just flat in it right now. Yeah, it's you know? a, it's yeah. a heck in the middle of a cornfield. That's oh, exactly. So, and you're surrounded by corn. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. So she goes out there, walks the track. It's 32 degrees that morning, by the way. You know, she's freezing. We're all freezing. You know, we got the trailer with the heaters on and the tent out and all that other stuff, thank God. And then uh, she's walking the track. There's cracks in the track. The track's been there forever, and, uh, you know, track temp was, you know, 38 degrees. So, thank God, by 11 o'clock, boom, you know, we're hitting 40-some degrees. And we started running at noon, and, uh, you know, like I said, right off the gate, she ran a 9-1. After that, we get, ran an 8-8, and then uh, 8-7, and uh, it was a great day. I didn't get above 55 degrees. <laughs> 
And uh, but we hold the record. And uh, the best part about that was at the very end, the guy that owns the car, uh, Alex, we're like, hey, you want to go for a ride with Leah? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he jumps in, and uh, they go down the track and still beat the last guy's record uh, with an 8-9, uh, beating his by a couple tenths, with two people in the car, with a full interior, with glass, <laughs> with a full trunk, no cage, you know, and uh, it was just a great day. So, um, you know, it was good. So it was, we have a lot of fun, and um, I'm glad we pulled it off, right? Put, put a cage in the car, man. You're kind of freaking out. And if out. you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over well, on Facebook, girl, Instagram, you know, the, and be sure to check her, out all know, of our latest videos and, on YouTube.com. No guy could drive it that fast and had to track that day, so it was great, and she had no fear. So it was amazing. But, yeah, we might have to put a cage in it and keep doing some stuff, but, uh, you know, it's a good time. Yeah, it's a good day. Yeah. So, like we mentioned, the Hot Rod article that came out, there's uh, some really good shots. I mean, you really get a good vibe of what the track area is like, what we're speaking to, and then just uh, how that car performed. And nothing like seeing a, a nice, shiny picture of the wheels off the ground. i got to think, with that kind of horsepower, I bet that thing is charging at mid-track. Yeah, it was funny, because when the turbos come on, um, oh, you know, man. it pulled the wheels in the beginning twice, and then after the 60-foot, it pulled it again. So when those turbos came on, and I mean, it was like, hold on. So the 60-foot times weren't great, but then it was a rocket ship, you know, right after full, you know, boost. And, man, when you're doing 161, 162 at the end of the track, that's, that's cooking. So. Yeah, so at eighth mile, you're doing 128, and by the end, you're up to 162. You're still pulling pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. You get these awesome pictures where she's, you know, wiped the windows because they fogged up so bad because it's cold and <laughs> Yeah, right. That was frosty. <laughs> she's looking through the little, you know, the uh, hole that well, you always make when you're driving a frosty yep. windshield. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I would just like to say as the the Mopar guy in our group, uh, Alex Brad, enough said. <laughs> We're Chevy guys, but I still love Mopars. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm still a Chevy guy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. got their thing. So, <laughs> cat suit wear. <laughs> High heels. <laughs> All the better to push on the gas pedal with, I guess. Um, oh yeah. yeah right. Hey guys, that was that was some great stuff. I am yeah. I am blown away by your abilities with that a doubt. Yeah, and your attitude about everything is just phenomenal. I mean, it's it's inspiring. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for yeah. for making time on what is you know, quite possibly the busiest week heading into the big show. So, yeah. I, I can't say thanks enough to both of you guys for for taking time. And I know it's getting a little bit late out there too. And hopefully, well, you guys aren't into uh, ice storm season yet, are you? You're not going to be driving uh, home. Yeah, we've uh, only it's had coming, a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah, we've only had a little bit of snow showers, but um, this time of year it's 45, 50 degrees during the day. Probably got a gonna... nice stiff breeze coming off Lake Michigan too. It's probably yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit. yeah, our facility here we're only uh, what about four miles from the lake, five miles from the lake here. Oh yeah, yeah, so, we're two actually two miles. Oh, yeah, yeah, so weather yeah. yeah. changes quickly. You're in the perfect spot, things. You don't get dumped with all the lake effect snow. You know, you got all that stuff happens probably south of you guys, right? 
Uh, it's always warmer at the beach, right? Usually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, always sunny and Yeah. Forty degree water is not really good. But we do have surfers in Wisconsin. I will say. Uh, I bet. I like Michigan can throw up some waves. I've been out there. It, it can throw some waves. There you go. Our winter surfers just have to avoid the ice chunk. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That'd be awesome. We have the Titanic Invitational. Yeah. Right. Well, hey, thank you guys again, sincerely. And yeah. uh, we, we really, we're, we're looking forward to uh, to meeting up with you guys on the show floor. Sounds good. Yeah. Can't wait we'll to see, see the cars. <laughs> and yeah, heavy emphasis on cars. Cause whole, yeah. <laughs> yeah, both, both. But thanks for having us. Yes, been a real pleasure. Thank, thank you for coming, and thanks for both of you guys. I know we had kind of talked about Dave on the show, but having Lyle, man, thank you so much. That was great. I mean, having yes. both of you guys was twice as good. Wow, yeah, yeah. We'd love to do it again, and we definitely look yeah. forward to seeing you at SEMA. Yeah, I want to pass on a big thanks to Greg Emerson, too. He kind of was my liaison between you guys, and uh, we stayed in contact with each other, and kind of stayed out of your business, but Greg was really good about uh, communicating with me about some things. So, Yeah, Greg's a great guy. Don't hold yeah. it against him that he's British, but he's a good guy. <laughs> okay, I thought he was Aussie. Okay, he's yeah. okay. I was going to ask him about, you know, throw another shrimp on the barbie, but I'm glad I held on. <laughs> yeah, that'll set him off. That's a good one. <laughs> Let's make this really awkward at the show, then. Tell Greg oh, we that- should. That Alex said that during the episode? Yeah. <laughs> he thought he was Irish. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's the crocodile hunter guy. <laughs> well, hey, guys. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll see you. We'll see we get to Vegas. Sounds awesome. Great. Looking Look forward to it. Thanks. Hey, All right, thank man, you thanks. Too. Appreciate it. Later. All right, bye. All right, bye. Wow, that was uh, that was an awesome time. Big thanks to Dave and Lyle from over at Speedcore. Yeah, yeah those that, guys were on it. Holy crap, that's that's one talented group of guys. Yeah, indeed. I I feel we we learned a lot, and and I appreciate them sharing um, you know some pretty good tips for someone who might be looking to come into the industry at this point. You know, especially with all the new technology and things of that nature. And but uh, man, I am uh, I am completely jazz to uh to see their five cars at the SEMA show next week uh, that's that's crazy that's a bunch that's all yeah, even even if i never saw any of their cars and i judged their products just from the way that those two guys carried themselves i'm a fan big time big yep. time and, and infectious energy from those two and um absolutely absolutely uh, we will on the on the website. We're going to have some really cool stuff coming up in the coming week. Uh, really heavy duty behind the scenes stuff, build coverage and things like that that you're probably not going to get anywhere else. So be sure to keep an eye on that. Uh, Alex has a pretty good story coming up on the Evolution Charger. You've done some uh, pretty good homework on that, sir. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It was a fun thing to research. Uh, you guys are going to be blown away. So make sure you're checking that out uh, starting, uh, especially next week. I'll be doing all that stuff. Uh, A lot of these will launch just as the cars debut. So if you want to see them first in extreme detail, 
uh, by all means, check out the website, www.round6pod.com. That's R-O-U-N-D-S-I-X-P-O-D.com. Um, beyond that, man, uh, it is the week before SEMA, and I'm going to try to edit this and write a bunch of stories and do all the other stuff we got to do. But uh, look for us live from the show floor all next week. And uh, anybody else got anything else they want to add? No, I think you covered it. It's going to be a busy uh, week. Yeah, next week is going to be crazy. And, yeah, people are going to love it. It'll be a good yep. thing. Yep. There you go. Well, thanks for joining us as always. Um, wow, coming out of this one, I am uh, I am a much more aligned Brian. <laughs> I am a, uh, I'm a carbon fiber Brad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, wow, I'm a... CNC machined Alex. It's better than being a pre-pregged Alex, huh? Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I tried. I was going to go there for you, Brad, Can't blame a guy for trying. Thanks again for listening. All right. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. And be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on YouTube.com.